You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hello, Bleeding Green Nation, and welcome back to another edition of Eye on the Enemy, powered by SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I'm your host, John Stolnes. You can follow me on Twitter, at John Stolnes. And coming up, we're going to preview this Sunday afternoon's matchup between the Eagles and the Washington Commanders. We're going to talk to Jamal Forrest of Hogshaven, the SB Nation Washington Commanders site, in just a few minutes. He's going to break it all down for us, and we'll get the skinny on what's been going on in the nation's capital. Uh, also going to talk a little bit about some interesting articles that have come out this week about Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz and their relationship. Joe Santaliquido from Bleeding Green Nation has a really interesting story that came out on Thursday about that. So I'm going to break that down in just a couple of minutes. And uh, I'll give you my prediction on the Eagles and Commanders coming up here on Sunday afternoon at 1 p.m. Eastern time. But first, just don't forget to check BleedingGreenNation.com each and every day for the latest news, notes, rumors, everything else going on. I usually put up a story per week there as well, so you can find all my stuff at BleedingGreenNation.com every week and uh, make sure you're checking it out each and every day for all the latest uh, all the latest on your birds and joining me to talk about this weekend's matchup between the commanders and the eagles is jamal forrest of hogs haven you can follow him on twitter at let Maul tell it that's l-e-t-m-u-a-l-t-e-l-l-i-t jamal welcome to eye on the enemy man how are you Look, I'm doing all right. It's a, it's a really good Friday morning. You know, the fall just hit. I, I get to wear my hoodie outside without yeah. having to worry about sweating bullets walking my dog. <laughs> you know, I'm feeling That's really right. good this morning, man. How are you? I'm I'm in the same boat. I well, I went out this morning to take my dog out. It's usually like 5:30 a.m. I got to get out there, and you know, it's it's it was cold. It was just cold. Yeah. Like it wasn't even it wasn't it wasn't cool. You know what I mean? Like I got to get I had flip flops on. I was like, I'm not doing that again. No, I you, said you the get same something. thing. I was at it's 50 degrees where we were at, and I, I stepped outside because I'm still used to wearing the slides outside. And I'm like, hold on, yeah, <laughs> I got to yeah, start wearing yeah. shoes again. <laughs> that's right, that's right. And jackets, and I gotta have a I gotta have a fleece yeah. standing by. It's not right, but yeah, it is nice. You, you can tell that 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 fall cool weather is in the air, and that means it's football season too. And here we are in week three, and uh, we got the Commanders at one and one, and the Eagles at two and zero oh, matching up here. Uh, obviously, the main storyline is Carson Wentz facing his old team. I want to get to Carson here in just a second. But first, I want to talk about the first two weeks for the Commanders because uh, I live in the Northern Virginia area, so I'm pretty well pretty well up on on the you know the fan reaction and, and kind of what's been going on with Washington here. And it's been a very interesting first couple of weeks because in week one, they fall behind against Jacksonville early, but rally late to win that game. And then last week they fall behind big to the lions and they're not able to recover. So first of all, the slow start, first of all, the slow starts, obviously this is a problem for Washington getting off to slow starts. It's, it's hard to dig a hole for yourself and climb out of it every week. Why is the team getting off to slow starts? Do you think? Well, I think the the biggest tale was against the, the lions, right? But, but also the Jacksonville thing, it's, it's like a mixed bag because Jacksonville, they actually got out to a 14, three lead. 
and uh, they weren't able to sustain it ultimately uh, going two and a half quarters without scoring a touchdown or even putting up points on the board. And then you have the game against the Detroit Lions where you get down 22 nothing, and you're figuring out, like, why is this happening with Washington? And I think the thing is, for Washington, um, when you have a, a guy, a quarterback in Carson Wentz, uh, and also just Scott Turner trying to mesh well together and figure out what they do well. Scott Turner can sometimes find himself in a position where he just can't get anything going or or maybe just outthinking himself um, in a mm-hmm. sense. And, and, and when things can be very simple, uh, you can have a uh, have your quarterback hit a check down. You can have your quarterback uh Pass, pass a, uh, uh, make a play, excuse me, to Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dodson, or Terry McLaurin near the line of scrimmage. And, um, you know, that, that surfaced against the, the Jaguars, but it became a bigger problem against the Lions when you're facing a team who, who really has, uh, the, the coverage in which you, you would like to, your receivers to face a uh, man coverage. You have receivers yeah. who are really good in man coverage. Uh, you have a, you have a lot of opportunity at the line of scrimmage for them to make plays and force the Detroit Lions defenders who, only had Jeffrey Okuda out there in terms of their starting cornerbacks. They had backups in. They had safeties checking some of your best receivers. And mm-hmm. you're sending these guys on on routes that's 10 to 12 yards down the field even longer, which is okay. But if you're out, your pass protection isn't holding up, how do you adjust? And that's kind of yeah. what you saw against the Lions is a, is a team who struggled, obviously, to take on the pressure. You had running backs who were struggling to, to pick up in pass protection. Titans struggling as well. Um, and ultimately, you find yourself in max protection and you find out that max protection isn't holding up. You ultimately adjust in the second half and you see that these guys are are actually playing, coming out in empty sets and forcing the Detroit Lions to essentially cover everybody that's eligible instead of yeah. uh, keeping these guys in max protection. But the the, the pass rush and, and blitzes and pressures never changed with Detroit. Scott Turner adjusted in, in something which he should have did in the first half. So when you ask about slow starts, it really comes down to how Scott Turner is able to adjust and, and recognize in game how quickly he should adjust or, or other things that he needs to try. And, and ultimately what it does, it hurts Washington. Um, and also it hurts Carson Wentz and, and how he's able to see the field because again, <laughs> adjustments are lacking and sometimes pass protection isn't really the best and, and especially in the interior. Yeah. I was going to ask, what is the state of the, of the commander's offensive line right now? Cause Carson Wentz is not as mobile as he used to be. He, he can kind of move around a little bit in the pocket, but he needs protection. He needs to have some time back there to, to find his receivers. And it's a decent receiving core. We'll get into that in just a minute as well. But uh, it sounds to me like the offensive line has been having their issues. Yes. Specifically out center, uh, left guard, right guard. Obviously I think that Charles Leno had a couple of bad reps against the Detroit Lions, but for the most part, he held up pretty well. Obviously you don't want to give up a sack in the end zone. Um, I, I, there's some people, you know, who kind of find a way to put that on Carson in a sense. And, and to be honest with you, it's not too much he could have done in that, in that situation. Cause if you, if you get sacked, it's a safety, you know, if you fumble, it can be a safety or touchdown, but at the end of the day, Leno is giving up a sack in that instance. And um, the, again, back to the point that the tackles, uh, they hold up pretty well. There, there are some times where they give up a pressure, but the, the issue has really been the interior between Norwell, uh, Trey Turner and Chase Rouye. Uh, obviously, Chase Rouye is now uh, possibly out for the season. He is placed on IR, but I don't think there's been a determination yet in terms of short term or long term. But he had issues against some of the bigger guys, meaning like nose tackles or or one tech defenders who were kind of close up on his helmet or his shoulder. And he's struggling to take on those power rushers and things like that. Uh, Norwell and, and Turner, they, they're kind of 
I don't know the, the proper way to describe it, but they are a little sluggish in terms of like their quickness off the line of scrimmage and how they're able to react. Uh, pass protection, uh, they hold up. Uh, I, I will probably say Norwell holds up better than Turner, but um, it, it's really the run game that that presents issues in pass protection. I mean, excuse me, more than pass protection. That's really where the problems come in. Pass protection, I would say, is kind of like slightly above average. So it's not too much where in which Winston's face faces a ton of pressure. Um, in terms of like one-on-one situations, but in terms of uh, uh, offensive line play, it really comes down to the run blocking. And that's where these guys truly struggle is that interior line um, and, and what Scott Turner and that offensive scheme wants them to do. I just don't think it meshes well. So I've watched a little bit of Commander's games over these first couple of weeks. I've seen a, a little bit of Carson Wentz, and, and I think we have to talk about it. I mean, it's burying the lead to wait this long <laughs> to talk about Wentz yeah. playing against this old team. And obviously, this is a, it's a, much, it's a big improvement over Taylor Heineke, and, and I, I get why the Commander's traded for him, given even after everything went down the way it did in Indianapolis last year. Um, and what I've seen from him, and again, I haven't done a deep film study on, on Carson Wentz, but what I've seen from him is a lot of what I saw in 2018 when he came back from his, his knee injury and in 2019, where he had moments where he could absolutely strap you on his back and take you with him on a win. Uh, but he could also have these moments and, and these stretches where he was ineffective and would actively do things to hurt you. And I know I think Commanders fans have seen all of that from Carson Wentz so far, but I wanted to get your take on how Carson Wentz has played these first couple of weeks. Yeah, I think that's accurate. Um, he's he's had his moments where he's, I mean, truthfully, he looks he looks really good in terms of some of the, the ball placement, his <clears throat> excuse me, his aggressiveness, and how he's targeting all three levels of the field. Um, the second half against the Detroit Lions displayed that. The fourth quarter against the Jacksonville Jaguars displayed that. Uh, but I think to to actually, if you want to circle back to the beginning of the conversation with slow starts, uh, while the pressure was definitely on Carson Wentz uh, in that first half against the Detroit Lions, they're partially down 22 nothing in the byproduct of, of Carson. Um, you have opportunities where even when, you know, the pressure is getting on them, there are some plays in which the pressure isn't. But because of the, the fact that he knows that Detroit was getting home on most of the times, he doesn't stick to a play long enough than he should. Like he's not fighting back in a sense, if, if you if that makes sense. Like he's not fighting back when he has those opportunities and, and is also causing Washington to mess out on plays. Same thing happened against the Jaguars in a different way. It wasn't that pressure was really getting home against them then, but he's missing opportunities because he's locked in on one person. So uh, for all the good that he's done in Washington to this point, he doesn't have a, a failing grade. He's he's definitely around that B range. I gave him I gave I gave him a B. I was actually a little bit more lenient than I should have been. Uh, in, against the Lions, but uh, ultimately, like when you throw an uh, interception while you're trailing and you're on your way back, you're you're mounting a really good comeback, and you're and you throw an interception overthrowing Logan Thomas uh, in the middle of the field against the Detroit Lions, which shorts the drive while you're down twenty-two to seven. You're in scoring territory, and you 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 overthrow your guy, or when you're you're fighting or you're trying to maintain the lead against the Jacksonville Jaguars, and you throw two back-to-back interceptions and things like that. Yeah. Like there's a lot of things that go on with Carson Wentz where you know you're you're very proud and pleased with the things that he's done, but then there's some instances where you gotta like if you wanna you know grade them on a curve because Washington hasn't had quarterbacks in some time. I get it, but if you wanna be balanced and fair, you know there's times where where Carson Wentz is hurting you, and and that's from poor decisions or or maybe overthrows. I would say sometimes maybe a poor decision here or there, but uh, and then also missed reads. So there is yeah. a ton of things where you have to take everything into an account. And like I said, he doesn't have a failing grade in Washington. He's playing really good two games in. Uh, but ultimately, 
uh, you can't ignore the the things that you pointed out in terms of some of the some of the resurfacing issues from Philadelphia. One of the concerns and one of the criticisms that he faced during, uh, towards the end of his time in Philadelphia was that he wouldn't play within the system. He, he wanted to be able to ad-lib and basically do whatever he wanted on the field and not stay within Doug Peterson's system. And uh, that that forced a rift between those guys towards the end. And that's one of the main reasons why it fell apart. And they were they were just so bad in, uh, in, in 2020. Do you get the sense that he's staying within the system thus far? Or is it too early to tell? Um, I think the... I mean, so far, yeah, I would say yes, and, and I think okay. that he's, he's turning, he's, he's taking coaching well. I think some of the some of the ways in which that shows is how he comes back uh, from one drive to the next in terms of uh, what they may want him to do. Uh, sometimes he initially on in, in a game, or maybe even the drive before, uh, he'll he'll over, he'll not look down or not look at his check down. Excuse me, and and you're wondering why when somebody's playing a soft zone where the the nearest defender between the running back. And the defender is probably like seven or eight yards. Why aren't you checking it down in the second and nine? Like, so you, you kind of figure out what's going on, but he comes back the next drive and sometimes even comes back later on in that, that same drive and he finds these guys. And uh, whether it's through a coaching coaching tip through his helmet or maybe it's something that he sees on the sideline when he's talking to his coordinator, he's coming back and he's addressing some of the things that he saw late, uh, earlier in the game. So I think to that degree, I think that he's staying within the scheme and also – finding some of those downfield opportunities because it, it, it works to what he wants to do well. We all know Carson likes to attack the intermediate levels of the field. We know that he likes to take his deep shots. So all of yeah. these things in terms of what Scott Turner wants to do, it meshes well with what Carson Wentz wants to do. It's all about can he take advantage of where, where there are coverage breakdowns? Can he take advantage of that? And so far, he's also missing some of those opportunities. But overall, I think he's staying within the scheme. I want to talk about Curtis Samuel a little bit because I know Terry McLaurin is obviously a superstar wide receiver and the Eagles are going to have to account for him. And I'll talk about that in just a second. But uh, it's been very interesting the way that they have utilized Curtis Samuel so far here in the early going. A lot of a lot of running with him, uh, trying to find different ways of, of utilizing his skills and abilities. What can we expect to see from Curtis Samuel this weekend? Uh, probably if I got two game sample on Curtis, it's probably not going to change in terms of a three game sample too. I'll probably tell you that you should probably expect him to, to make a difference at or near the line of scrimmage. Sometimes they use him out of the backfield last year, last week against Detroit, they used him out of the backfield, I think four or five times. Um, one time in the first half, which was based on how they used them in Jacksonville and the successes they had in Jacksonville, they used them in the backfield uh, far too less than they should have um, in, in that first half against Detroit. Uh, but, but ultimately you have those backfield opportunities where you can use them as a running back as an offset to Antonio Gibson and, and, and J.D. McKissick. But then at the same time, the routes that he's able to use at the line of scrimmage, especially against man coverage, if you can use them within that zero to meaning near the line of scrimmage or maybe one to seven yard range, uh, he's much more effective because it's hard to cover him in terms of staying in front of him and things like that. So uh, Washington has been able to use him in that that regard. Also, uh, motion plays and things like that to get him flowing one way. Uh, and have that that forward momentum and kind of using them as a gadget, like a true gadget gadget player. And I think for Washington, if you can have a guy like Curtis Samuel who is who is truly <laughs> a very difficult individual to tackle in space, if you have one of the best gadget players on your team, you really aren't truly focused on sending him downfield and creating opportunities that way. Uh, he's a guy who can get you that six to seven yards. And and if if you if you get lucky because he's so good in terms of um, yak yardage or run after the catch or run after 
or <laughs> I don't even know the right word for, for the running backs, but <laughs> if you can get him that opportunity where, where you have that space and he becomes from uh, just being a gadget player to one of the best uh, offensive weapons that, that a team could have. So that's kind of how Curtis Samuel has been used to this point. I don't think it's going to change. I don't think you're going to see like somebody lining Curtis Samuel up and sending him on a, on a seam, seam route down the field and, and throwing it a 60 yard bomb to him. Uh, Washington really doesn't need that because they have Terry and Jahan on the outside. I thought it was pretty impressive on Monday night how the Eagles' defense played against uh, a very good Minnesota offense. I think Minnesota's offense is one of the best in the league. I know Justin Jefferson is obviously the superstar. There may not be a ton at wide receiver uh, outside of Jefferson, but that's hardly mattered in, in over these last couple of years, and Dalvin Cook's a really good running back. I know uh, I think Washington has to feel pretty good about their skill position players two weeks into the season. Antonio Gibson seems to have gotten more trust back from from the coaching staff. And, and obviously you have McLaren and you have Dotson and um, you have Curtis Samuel, but based on what you saw from the Eagles defensively on Monday night football, they obviously looked, I think they look quite good, but in the opening week game against the lions, uh, the lions ran all over them a little bit. So what are we, what are we expecting from, from Washington um, to try and attack this, this Eagles defense? Uh, well, the hope is uh, these guys continue to try to find a way to, to utilize those playmakers in the middle of the field. Um, Logan Thomas is a guy who I am. I have, it took me some time to really come around on him. I'm not going to lie to you, John. It was, <laughs> he, he's a guy who's, who plays very stiff and he doesn't create much separation in it. And it annoyed me like his first year, 2020, it, it, it very much annoyed me, but he was a guy who was really strong at the catch point. He made a lot of plays with this because of his size, uh, but also because he can leap and, and get a football. But ultimately, my, my my point to this is, like, if you can find a way to to, to manip, manipulate the linebackers and try to get some passes over top of their head, I think there's opportunities uh, for Washington uh, in the middle of the, in, in the middle of the field. Um, there's so many weapons in the sense of uh, that that Washington has a way to utilize everybody from the running backs and even. Uh, like I said, the tight end position. And I mentioned Logan because behind him, you have Cole Turner and you have Armani Rodgers who are better athletes than Logan Thomas. So, and, and that's where I'm, I'm trying to get to with these weapons is, is how does Scott Turner find a way to implement these guys? But also how do you get the ball into these playmakers hands often? And, and, <laughs> and oh, hey, hey buddy. Yeah. The cold is getting happy. Watch out. Go downstairs or something. Yeah, there she go. Um, but but how do you get these playmakers the ball in their hands quicker? And, and I think that's where Scott dropped the ball and against the Detroit Lions. And, and when you see Philadelphia, uh, they don't send a lot of blitzes. Uh, but but when they do send like pressures and, and, and things like that, a lot of it does come on third down. And, and and you'll have those opportunities in man coverage to really make a difference with your guys uh, near the line of scrimmage. And, and again, that's kind of the focus. Like, how does Scott Turner bounce back? Maybe even the screen game, right? Um, if yeah. you can get these the screen game going and, and have an effective, uh, I, and that's kind of where Washington struggles. By the way, I know I'm, I'm not yeah. going a little rambling with this one, but screen game it would make sense when you have uh, uh, pressures and, and blisses coming towards the quarterback, but these guys struggle. Like they're struggling with the receiver screen. They're struggling with uh, getting the ball out of the backfield and, and having a running back screen. So these things are impactful. So how do you, how do you offset that? And you have to find a way uh, to, to use Terry more effectively near the line of scrimmage. And you have to find a way to use Jahan more effectively at the line of scrimmage. Let's talk about defense real quick here, because I know, uh, 
I, I'm curious what your approach on Jalen Hurts will be. I, I, I'm, I was amazed by what I saw Monday night against the Vikings. He's, he's, that's the, easily the best game he's ever played. I know he's rocketing up a lot of uh, uh, odds makers MVP lists, and he looked like he looked like a guy that would be extremely hard to contain. And the Eagles have a lot of new playmakers themselves with AJ Brown, and you, you're working in some of these other guys. You basically addition by subtraction with Jalen Rager out of there now. Uh, the offensive line is among the best in football. And I know Jack Del Rio has taken a lot of heat over these first yeah. couple of weeks uh, because the, the the commander's defense was supposed to be a strength and it really hasn't been so far. So um, how, how are they going to match up against uh, against this Eagles unit, which has run the ball and thrown the ball really well the first couple of weeks? Yeah, just pray. Just pray. That's all you can do. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, um, I think it's. Oh, my goodness. This question is is incredible because, I, you know, I was asked this a few times this week. Um, rightfully so. Like, that's been the topic of the week about the defense mm-hmm. and, like, how do you fix it? How, what's, is it a personnel thing? Is it a scheme thing? And I tell people all the time, like, when you look at something as bad as the product of Washington, it it and, and how surprisingly bad it is. Like, it's not dead last statistically, but you see these lapses and you wonder, can it be fixed? And to be honest with you, it's beyond, like, you, you can't fix this in the regular season. Like, it's beyond Jack Del Rio. It's beyond the players. Yes, the scheme isn't working, clearly, because they aren't picking up and they aren't understanding things. And yes, the players aren't that good in terms of what we anticipated them to be. From a skill standpoint, We it's probably been overrated in terms of how Washington viewed them. So yes, those two are accurate. Uh, and, and I think it's more closer f- to 51-49% one way or the other. It's not necessarily one-sided. It's not 70-30 coaching or 70-30 players. It goes to the offseason. It goes to the decisions that Ron Rivera chose not to make. It goes to the decisions that Ron Rivera did choose to make. For example, he chose to keep Cole Holcomb at middle linebacker after saying, <laughs> as soon as the season ended, hey, we need a middle linebacker. But they they looked at some film, and within a week, he changed his stance. Uh, they hmm. chose not to bring in a veteran linebacker. They chose not to bring in veteran defensive uh, defensive linemen. Um, they they stuck with their guys. They drafted a rookie in for Darian Mathis, who I really do like, but he got hurt for the season, and, and now we really don't get to see anything. You end up letting go um, Matt Ioannidis and obviously Tim Settle. So now because of these injuries at the defensive line and now because you don't have no depth, you're thin. Jonathan Adams is a little yeah. banged up. All these things culminate from offseason decisions and offseason decisions that Ron Rivera, the guy who was leading the way, made. And so when we talk about can things get fixed and, and how do you stop Jalen Hurts, truth is it's going to be a tough task. It's going to be a tough task regardless of what they try to do because these guys aren't, they just aren't getting it from a skill standpoint and from a schematic point defensively. Obviously, we can go into further detail about how they're struggling in the run game and how they're struggling in the pass game. But to be honest with you, that's probably a 30-minute conversation too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't quite have time for all that. Um, yeah. But no, I and and I think the Eagles' offense. Uh, I was optimistic coming into the season they would be better. I, I wasn't anticipating the kind of performance they put on on Monday night. And and they may <laughs> not, you know. Hey, listen, they may not back that up. It it maybe it it could very well be that you know we we see a Jalen Hurts here in Week Three that kind of looks like the Jalen Hurts we saw last year. But I didn't think he had that kind of game in him. And so uh, it was it was for sure eye opening. Uh, yeah, I, I think watching. Yeah, yeah. I was just, I was just gonna say, I was gonna add to it because I, I do, I want to give credit to because I, I know uh, I, I did give you a non-answer. I, I do want to give credit that you know Jalen Hurts played a really good game. I was watching uh, the Philly, the Philly offense this morning uh, when I woke up and, and just trying to understand what they do well. And, and while 
you know, the Vikings could have played a little bit more aggressive. That doesn't matter because Jalen Hurst still has to make the throws. And he was he was very aggressive down the field. He had opportunities mm-hmm. um, where he saw the field well and he made proper throws in the pocket. His ball placement was really good. So I give credit to him in that in that sense. And then for Washington, too, like the only way you can really, truly affect Jalen Hurts for Washington is really getting pressure with that defensive line that, you know, has three first round draft picks on it, would have four if Chase Young is if, if he was healthy. But you have three currently playing for you that are active and you have to find a way to get pressure with these guys. And if you have to find a way to send blitzes with Jamin Davis involved in the pass rush as well, because that's probably your only way in terms of uh, hi- uh, timing up his his ability to throw it or his time to throw in the pocket or maybe forcing him to, to stay in the pocket with the pass rush pressure. So that is an opportunity for Washington. But do I have faith in him doing it? And that's kind of the crux of this whole question. Last thing for you, let's get a prediction from you for this weekend. Uh, Jamal, what do you think? How do you think this is going to all shake out? Uh, I see it 27 to 20, um, Philadelphia. Uh, and, and if you want to do a three touchdown thing, 28, 21, Philadelphia. Uh, okay. I, I have a hard time seeing Washington covering, although I, I do think that the line, from a gambling standpoint, is six and a half as as we're speaking, and it may have shot up to seven. But from from I have a hard time really thinking that they cover. I understand that the, the line shot up after Philly dominated in, in Minnesota, and it may be inflated a little bit. But knowing what I see on defense, it's hard to really sit here and say that they can keep it closed from that perspective. I do think Washington will be able to put up some points, but it just won't be easy against a, a team that's that's uh from a from an on paper standpoint in two games in. Uh, looks solid um, defensively, so we'll we'll see. But I, I have it. I have it. Philadelphia winning by at least a touchdown. Yeah, I, I think it's uh, these teams usually play close games, uh, but uh, you know the way the t- direction these two teams are going, and, and I think Washington is substantially better this year than they have been in years past. They were actually a preseason playoff pick for me. I, I think oh, they're going okay. to be all right. Yeah, I do. I, I I like. I think Carson in that offense. I like. I I, I like Ron Rivera. I, I think that team has some playmakers, and I think the Cowboys are are taking a, a big step back this year too. So uh, yeah, I, I had a couple of weird. I had a couple of weird playoff picks coming into this season, and uh, you know, there's always a few of those. And so you know, I thought you know, Commanders have an opportunity, but they got to. You're right. They got to get better on defense specifically, and and figure out what they're doing there. Fingers crossed. <laughs> Fingers yeah, crossed. Man, I'd rather it. be in the position of Philly in terms of personnel and roster building for sure. <laughs> For, for sure, no doubt about it. Well, listen, yeah. folks, read everything that Jamal Forrest has going on over at Hogshaven. He's also got a bunch of podcasts and video stuff going on over there, too. Just follow him on Twitter to see everything he's got going. At, at It's at Let Maul Tell It. Jamal, thanks for coming on Eye on the Enemy, man. I appreciate it. Absolutely, no problem. We'll take a quick break. When we come back, we're going to talk a little bit more about Carson Wentz and his uh, his first game against the Eagles since the departure and an interesting article by Joe Santaliquido from BGN on the relationship between Hertz and Wentz during their one year together in Philly. We'll do that coming up next here on Eye on the Enemy. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. 
Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And we're back on Eye on the Enemy. So uh, Joe Santaliquido, who you guys will all probably remember having written that uh, I guess he was with Philly. What was he with Philly Voice when he did that? I think it was with Philly Voice when he did, when he did that. He wrote a bombshell article about uh, Carson Wentz in the Eagles locker room, and um, uh, it happened a few years ago. I think it was in 2018 or maybe 2019, but um, it was before the the great Carson collapse of 2020. But essentially, uh, talking about the the status of Wentz in the Eagles locker room and just that he had a lot of leadership issues, personality issues, that he was not a very popular guy in the Eagles locker room. You couldn't really find people that didn't, that could say think bad things about him, that didn't like him, but uh, there was some very, unf- it was a very unflattering report about Carson Wentz, and um, Joe had, largely, I think, has been proven correctly with uh, a lot of the things he had to say in that article. It seems like his sources were pretty rock solid, and uh, he had another piece this week for Bleeding Green Nation uh, that you all should check out, talking about the Wentz-Hurts time in Philadelphia in 2020. You remember, of course, uh, Carson Wentz signs that big mega deal to be the franchise quarterback uh, after the 2019 season, and then the Eagles... Oh, no, before the 2019 season, and then after the 2019 season, the Eagles go and draft Jalen Hurts in the second round. Now, I've also seen some folks who are talking about the the Jalen Hurts draft pick and now it's it's uh it could people saying it could turn out to be one of Howie's most brilliant picks and and I still I I've never I was never a fan of drafting Jalen Hurts with the, in the second round I wonder what the Carson Wentz situation in Philadelphia would have been like had Jalen Hurts not been selected second overall because it's pretty clear that that messed with Carson Wentz and at, at the end of the day the process of the pick still was terrible. You don't sign your franchise quarterback, especially a sensitive franchise quarterback, who had to deal with a whole Nick Foles thing, the Nick Foles shrine, all of that stuff, was already very sensitive to having missed out on the Super Bowl and not really having control of the locker room, it not really being his team or anything like that. You already had a guy who was sensitive to that, and then you went and drafted a quarterback in the second round. And you could certainly make the argument that Carson Wentz should have been mentally tougher. He should have been mentally tougher. He did, in an article in the Washington Post, essentially say today that he did make some mistakes during his time in Philadelphia. To his credit, saying he could have done things differently. He could have been a better teammate. He could have been a better a better player while he was here in, in Philadelphia. Um but I think it. I think Santa Luquito's article here is also interesting when when you when you read it and and you take a look at what it was like for for Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz together here in Philadelphia. Um, Santa Luquito writes: In the year Hurts had to endure Wentz, Hurts was treated very coldly by the guarded 2016 NFL Draft second overall pick. It wasn't uh, 20... Oh, oh, yeah, Wentz was 2016. Part of that was understandable, since Wentz thought Hertz was drafted to be his possible successor. A stunning miscalculation for a highly intelligent guy that had been rewarded with a franchise record four-year, $128 million contract extension. Uh, Sandra Liquido writes, that happens in the NFL. Brett Favre was brutal to Aaron Rodgers when he first arrived in Green Bay, just like Rodgers has been abrupt with Jordan Love. But part of that frostiness was innately Wentz. He would huddle up with his pals Nate Sudfeld and quarterback coach Press Taylor in the quarterback's room and ignore the others. Um, 
Santa Liquido uh, quotes someone who was, quote, very close to the situation, saying, and that person says, it was like you were back in high school with the cool kids table and the nerds table. Carson was the captain of the cool kids table. He'd treat Jalen, really one of the best guys you would ever want to meet, like he wasn't there. Jalen did his work. He kept his head down and paid attention. The other guy wasn't about to lift a finger to help him. What made us all laugh was he just got a boatload of cash. Why was he so insecure about Jalen? The other part of the problem was everyone liked Jalen, not so much the other guy. Now, we, I don't have any idea who this is. Santa Liquido, uh, it's an anonymous quote, so he doesn't, he doesn't say that. Uh, Jalen Hurts was asked about, those, about that quote and his time with Carson, and of course, Hurts takes the high road. Um, and I will say Carson Wentz, when, when asked about his time in Philadelphia, and, and at, he, when given the opportunity to bury teammates, has also taken the high road in public. So, you know, I, I just... I was as much a defender of Carson Wentz during his time here as anyone, and I have been as probably as much as, as much of a critic of him since he left because I do feel like he was immature towards the end. I do feel like uh, there there were things about him and about his style of play and about his ability or inability to lead a locker room that dramatically affected things on the field. And to to eat that much cash that much salary cap space that the Eagles had to eat in order to get rid of him. And then to see the Indianapolis Colts do the very same thing the next season, the next offseason, it tells you something about a, about a person, about a player. But I will also say, like I said a minute ago with the Washington Post, Wentz lamented about what transpired in Philadelphia. He said, there's always things I like back on and say, man, I could have been better here, better as a person, better as a teammate. I have a lot of really good memories from my time there. I'm not going to lie. A lot of great friends, a lot of great relationships that I made, so I definitely will have some mixed emotions in terms of those things, but nothing crazy jumps out other than my time there was a whirlwind. It was wild. The NFL is a whirlwind, but I'm grateful to still be playing, and I'm excited for this one. Uh, there was another another story um, that came out this week. I, I think it was... A story written by Tim McManus uh, for ESPN talking about Carson Wentz's time in Philadelphia. And essentially, kind of going along with the cool kids table sense, uh, McManus writes that trust was at the heart of the issue between Jalen Hurts and Carson Wentz and, and among other players on the team. Uh, McManus writes that Wentz was often reluctant to play within the system during his time in Philadelphia. Uh, he became irritated, one of the sources said, when his freedom to operate the offense was largely stripped of him as injuries and inefficient performances piled up during the 2020 season. His relationship with Peterson became strained. With coach and quarterback pulling in different directions, the offense flopped. Much has been made of Wentz's standing among his teammates during his days with the Eagles. The bottom line is this, and I think this gets at the heart of it. Wentz was largely viewed as a good guy and good teammate. Several players said they spoke with Wentz just in the past week and were complimentary of him as a person and a player. But he ran in a tight circle and therefore did not have strong relationships built up across the entire locker room. So when Wentz would target good friend Zach Ertz significantly more than the other receiving options over the course of a season, like when Ertz had 48 more targets than any other pass catcher in 2019, it would rub some players the wrong way because they did not have the same access to him off the field as Ertz did. This may be hitting it what with that Josina that Josina Anderson tweet from a few years ago, which has largely been attributed to Alshon Jeffrey talking about targeting targets and all that kind of stuff. This gets at the heart of that. This is part of what that was all about. Was that Carson Wentz had his favorites, and he seemed to play to those favorites, even if it was at the detriment of the team. And, and maybe that's just human nature. But that's why you you see the really good team leaders and really good quarterbacks are able to 
to involve the whole team. That's one of the reasons why everybody loves Jalen Hurts so much is because he's he's a universal teammate. And so it doesn't always have to work that way. But in Philadelphia with Carson Wentz during that time, it did work that way and it didn't work. So that's that's you're seeing kind of now these years later, the fault lines, how they came about, what they you know, what what happened along the way. And and you see a situation that just that the, that devolved. And I don't think it means Carson Wentz is a bad person or a bad teammate. But at the time, he sounds like he was an immature teammate that he just he didn't have the right stuff to to lead that team. And which is which is incredible to think about when you think about how good he was in 2017 and how it seems universally loved on the team. He was in 2017, but also maybe he was just a little bit more humble in 2017, just in his second year as a, as a quarterback and, and playing more within the system with Frank Reich there. Maybe there was more accountability. Who knows? But anyway, uh, enough about Carson Wentz, uh, the, the player off the field. in On the field this year, as you just heard Jamal talk about, the stat line for him has looked pretty good. He's completed 65.5% of his passes for 650 yards and seven touchdowns, but he has three, interten- three interceptions. Now, those seven touchdowns tie him with three other quarterbacks for most in the league, but he has a 3.4 interception rate, which is about what it was in 2020 when he got benched. So what you're going to see here from from the Eagles is an attempt to get him rattled, to get him to try and play hero ball this weekend uh, against the Eagles defense. And... I'm not quite sure what we're going to get out of the Eagles defense this week because you saw in week one that it was very good. I mean, and pardon me, no, in week one that it was very it was very bad, especially against the running game. Uh, but then in week two, they blitzed a little bit more. I, I will say I have some I had some worries after the Monday night game. And I, I just want to I just want to get these out there because they're they may rear their heads again. And I don't want everybody to be surprised if they do. We should all be feeling really good about how the Eagles played on Monday night. They dominated that game. You look at the numbers, they just dominated that game. They made the splash plays when they had to. They got the turnovers. Um, they got some some key pressures at times on 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 uh, Kirk Cousins. Uh, they they largely shut the offense down, although here here is one of the things that that I saw. And that is that the Vikings dropped a couple of key touchdown opportunities. There there was a long pass to Irv Irv Cross Jr. That could have been a touchdown that was dropped, and I think there was a there was a second pass to one to the tight end Mond, who uh, could have got who had he been able to to bring in a pass could have scored a touchdown as as the Vikings were driving on one play. Um, that could have been a very different game. H- have those two catches had those two catches been made? And so you could be looking at a much closer game. Now that may that may also spur the Eagles to being more aggressive in the second half, as the Eagles piled up yardage in the second half. They had a field goal blocked, um, and that could have been a big momentum swing too. But thank goodness Aaron Sipsis, the uh, the the punter, chased down um, chased down the I forget the name of the Vikings player who was running with the football and and prevented a touchdown on that blocked field goal. That could have been a huge momentum swing. It was all a little bit of a, a momentum swing anyway. But then the Eagles get a turnover right after that, and really that's what that's what ices the game away. But there were some key there were some key things going on there in in that game that really could have turned things around. And one is that the Vikings missed on a couple of big scoring opportunities that could have made that game a lot closer. Because the Eagles number two, the Eagles didn't add on offensively with points in the second half. Even when they were playing conservatively, you would like to see them with all that extra yardage and all that time of possession, just put another touchdown on the board to ice it. You know, they only scored twenty four points. And I'm not criticizing because it was an easy win. It was a fun night. They didn't need to score any more than they did. But it still it just still felt like that if the Vikings scored a touchdown, 
and made it a 10-point game that all of a sudden it'd start to get to be sweaty palms time a little bit. Now, maybe that, again, that means the Eagles are a little bit more aggressive offensively in the second half. The Eagles were essentially playing not to lose in the second half, and the defense was playing well enough. Defensively, they were playing well enough in order for that to work. I will say one of the other things that I noticed was that the front four, they were still not getting pressure on the quarterback without blitzing. The only way the Eagles were able to get in Kirk Cousins' face was to blitz. Now, they weren't ready for it, and Jonathan Gannon did a good job disguising his defenses and bringing them at at opportune times and, and then allowing the playmakers in the secondary, Darius Slay, chief among them, to feast on the lack of time that and the lack of poise that Kirk Cousins showed in the pocket against the Blitz. But I'm still a little concerned that the defensive ends, that Hassan Reddick, that the defensive tackles are not getting to the quarterback enough. They did a much better job against against the running game. Dalvin Cook just couldn't get anything going against the run. That was certainly a, a big improvement. And so that's a that's a big deal to be able to stop the run like that after giving up so many yards to DeAndre Swift in in week one. They stopped one of the better running backs in the NFL in week two. And Antonio Gibson is not as good as Dalvin Cook is. He could be as good as DeAndre Swift, although DeAndre Swift looked amazing in, in that week one game. And he continued to run well against the Commanders last week. So uh, those are just a couple of things from the Monday night game we didn't t- we, people haven't really been talking about because we've been feeling so good about Jalen Hurts' performance and uh, about Darius Slay's performance. And I thought Shane Steichen did an amazing job calling the game. But I, I will just point out those, those things, just as things to be keeping an eye on. Uh, the, the Eagles front four really needs to get pressure on Carson Wentz on their own without having to rely on the Blitz and get him off his spot, get him to make some mistakes in the pocket. Uh, I, I think you have to you have to also make sure that you're not you know allowing some big plays to to, to occur uh, that the Vikings dropped because I don't think Terry McLaurin is going to drop those kinds of mistakes. But uh, again, that's a matchup that I think after last week's shutdown of just Justin Jefferson, Terry McLaurin has routinely tortured the Eagles when they've played them. Tortured the Eagles when they've played them. He's had some success against Jonathan Gannon, but we'll see if Gannon uh, has anything else up his sleeve. Obviously having James Bradbury back back there in case you don't have Slay shadow McLaurin. You're probably not going to have him shadow McLaurin all game long, but you feel better with Bradbury on the other side and Avante Maddox in the middle of the field to kind of also help and make sure that you don't have to shadow Darius Slay all over the field. So let's get to my prediction here on Sunday afternoon. And I do think the Eagles are going to win this one. I think it's going to be close to what he was, uh, what Jamal was talking about just a second ago. Washington usually plays this team a little bit closer, so I'll say that this is, I'll, I'm going to say this is a four-point game. This is going to be a little bit more uncomfortable than I think we want it to be. I, I think the Eagles are going to battle these guys back and forth. It might come down to a late score, but I think this is going to be a little bit more of a high-scoring affair. I'm going to say 31 to 27. That's four points, right? 31-27 Eagles win over the Commanders. In a, in a raucous FedEx field with mostly Eagles fans uh, in attendance. They've been traveling really well down south uh, over these last few years to watch the Eagles take on the Commanders, and I think we're going to hear uh, a pretty vociferous Eagles crowd uh, this year, although there's a little bit more excitement here in the Washington, D.C. area about the Commanders. I will be honest with you, it won't be, it won't be a green out. There, you will see more Commanders fans in the stands this week because I do think the Commanders are, uh, are building something a little bit here. And Carson Wentz does have the ability to hurt them, but also the ability to 
win some games for them. And so this is obviously the nightmare scenario is Carson Wentz pulling off a victory against the Eagles, especially a come from behind victory. That's the last thing you want to see if you're an Eagles fan. And of course, that's going to be what's going to keep everybody up at night over these next couple of days until kickoff here on Sunday afternoon at one o'clock Eastern time. All right, folks, that's going to do it for this edition of Eye on the Enemy. Again, make sure to check out all of the great podcasts we have for you at the Bleeding Green Nation podcast feed. And don't forget to check out BleedingGreenNation.com each and every day. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. I'll talk to you next time here on Eye on the Enemy.